Welcome to the Go Ye Forth podcast, where we hear inspiring stories from returned missionaries of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who have served all across the globe. I am your host, Jason Bringhurst. Hello, everybody. In today's episode, I speak with Dusty Smith, who served in the Honduras Tegucigalpa mission from 1984 to 1986. Dusty has a pretty amazing story. And while the podcast focuses on mission stories, his before-mission and post-mission story had to be told as well. Dusty's a convert to the church. He served a mission, and then he left the church. He became very vocal and outspoken, calling himself an anti-Mormon for many years, and eventually found his way back to the church. His story was actually featured in an LDS Living article, and Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf, then President Uchtdorf, even spoke about Dusty's experience in General Conference, though his name was changed for the talk. If you're like me, you'll probably want to go back and listen to that again. I'll put the link in the show notes, but it was the October Priesthood Session of General Conference in 2016. Well, I know you're excited to listen to this episode, and you should be, because it's a really good one. And in my missionary minute, if you choose to stick around and listen to the end, I talk about heeding them not. So, let's get to it. Welcome to the show, Dusty Smith. I am so excited to have you here today. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, so I've heard some of your story. I've read the article that LDS Living did on you and the unique experiences that you've had. But before we get into all that, I'd like to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, Maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, your family, where you grew up, and what you're doing now in life. Um, I have, I've had a pretty decent life. I, it started off kind of rocky. I, I was, uh, I was born in 1960. And my, um, uh, my dad left when I was five. Uh, he, uh, let's just say that because of how he was, I made a promise to my mother when I was five years old that I would never drink alcohol. Mm. And so I never have. And, um, I was raised by my, my mother, my grandfather and my grandmother. Now my mother was Lutheran. My grandfather was Catholic. My grandmother was Baptist. Oh well, wow. <laughs> and I went to all three churches, but they did teach me to love the Lord, and I did. And yeah. I, I grew up. We, we grew up pretty poor. Um, in mm-hmm. the trailer house a lot of my life, and um, nobody in my family had ever gone to college, mm-hmm. but I knew that I wanted to, and um, so I started working when I was sixteen every summer and every Christmas and Easter break uh, to pay for college. And then I worked a full time job and went to college full time at the university of Texas and graduated in four years. Oh, wow. And, um, in my third year of, of college, a, a tragedy happened uh, to a family friend and I got mad at God until I would never, I didn't want anything to do with God. So that kind of put me pretty angry with God. But about a year after graduation, I was at home, um, I, I tell people that I was visiting my mother and then I'll say, well, actually it was, yeah, I was washing clothes for free. <laughs> and, um, and I was going to read a book and my mother had been to Salt Lake city on business and somebody had given her a book of Mormon and she put it up my old bookshelf in my old bedroom. Hmm. And as I was looking for a Louis Lamore Western to read that book of Mormon fell off the bookshelf and I sat down and read it, started reading it, opened it up, happened to open up the third Nephi got interested and, um, contacted the stake 
Mm-hmm. And I, I tell people in the in my fireside that that I didn't know if I should who I should call because I had you know it was water steak. I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. But it was lunchtime and I was hungry, so I chose steak. <laughs> and uh, the steak president was just happened to be there on a on lunchtime that day. He, he said he's never there during the week, but he had forgotten something on Sunday. Came by to pick it up during lunch, and yeah. we chatted and made arrangements to meet with the missionaries. And I was baptized shortly thereafter. Wow. Um, uh, now, as far as what I'm doing now, uh, growing up, I, when I was in junior high, I read The Kill a Mockingbird. I wanted to be an attorney. And my grandfather was a military officer. He was a, a major in the Air Force. And because of that, I wanted to be an Army. I wanted to be a military officer. Mm-hmm. And I grew up admiring people like JFK and Dwight Eisenhower and, you know, the presidents and stuff. And I wanted mm-hmm. to be, a, I wanted to go into politics and and um, I've been able to do all three. I'm, I'm currently a managing attorney. I'm a former army lieutenant colonel, and and uh, I served three terms as a city councilman in, in mm. Texas. So that's awesome. I've been able to 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 do everything that I dreamed about doing. So that's kind of where I am now. So as you were looking at the church, what was the turning point that made you want to be baptized? Well, you know, you, when growing up, I remember thinking when I was a kid. Uh, cause I was going to all three of these churches with mm. my grandparents and my mother. And I remember thinking, why are there so many churches teaching these different things? Because like I said, in some churches, you said this, in some churches, you said this, you mm. baptized in every church differently. It was, and I kept thinking, why are there all these differences from the same God? Mm-hmm. You know, it seems to, it seemed odd to me that there would be so many, and that was only three different churches. You know, there's right. forty thousand different denominations in this country. But back for me as a kid, it was it was three, and I I just I had a real trouble with the idea that God would be that um, arbitrary. Mm-hmm. That okay, you church do this, you church do this, you church do this, and even as a as a youngster in elementary school and junior high, I knew that didn't seem right. Yeah. And and I I liked the idea as as well. I think what what what. It's not that I like the idea. I, it, 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 it just felt right and was wonderful that that Christ came to to this continent. I had never heard that before, and like I said, I opened it when I when the book fell off my shelf. I opened it to Third Nephi, and here he was visiting this this continent, and that really struck a chord with me. And I like the fact that that they said that the church taught. Even back in 1983, when I was when I was taking the classes, that there's only one true church. That there's not yeah. the other churches. Other churches aren't bad. They just don't have the truth. They don't have the keys, and that makes sense to me. That's why they're all teaching something a little different. They don't have the the, the truth, but they all teach truth, and so, and and they all have some truth that they teach, mm-hmm. but they don't have the keys. And that 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 kind of fit in with what I had thought of as a kid. And I'll tell you another little story that kind of manifested itself um, in the church. When I was in elementary school, I ha- and I can still see the dream. I had a recurring dream for many, 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 many months, maybe a year. I don't know. It just seemed like I had it all the time that I was in that, it, that there was that there were three men in heaven, and they were talking to somebody else. I never saw the other person they were talking to, but they were looking and chatting with this person. Then they turned and all walked away. And as they walked away, a 
hole opened up in the clouds and a ladder came down from the clouds and they turned and looked one more time and said a few things and heard a few things from the person they were talking to. And they all three came down, uh, went down from heaven. And I thought that was always a strange dream until I found the story as a member about, um, the three apostles coming down to confer the, the uh, priesthood. And that dream came back to me as I was hearing that about that uh, moment of, 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 of Latter-day Saint history, that dream came back to me and it was kind of like, okay, that that's my dream. Yeah, so that's, you that's know, pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah. So you decide to get baptized. How did your family react to that? No, listen, I lost a lot of friends mm-hmm. um, and my family wasn't a big fan. I I felt very isolated at that point. At some point you start thinking about a mission. How, how long did that take uh, until you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's put that in perspective. <laughs> when I was baptized, I was a college graduate. Okay. I graduated from University of Texas in 82. Mm-hmm. I was ba- uh, I was baptized in 83. So I was a college graduate and I had a job and people would walk up to me all the time and they would say, you should go on a mission. And I would be very adamant that I would never serve a mission. <laughs> I was, a, I was not 19. I was 24. Right. Yeah. You know, I was, I had a job. I was a college, I had a college diploma. Um, and the way I tell it in my fireside is that somebody else would walk up and say, you serve mission. I'd go, <laughs> no, I'm adulting. <laughs> yeah. And somebody else would walk up and say, you serve mission. I would say, I will never serve a mission. So anyway, while well, I was at the MTC, that's, um, <laughs> but I will tell you that, that I was, I was going to the university ward, which was uh-huh. a singles ward in, in, in Austin, Texas. And I had been very adamant I would never serve a mission. Again, mm. at that point, I was 24 years old. Yeah. And I was in sacrament meeting. And I just had this impression, just, I mean, just overwhelming impression that I needed to serve a mission. Wow. Um, and I said, but I, you know, I thought, but I don't have any money saved up. And mm-hmm. the answer was, we'll worry with the details. You just need to go serve a mission. And so I, I was living with a family at that time. I now a member of the a family in the church mm-hmm. and I had already, I was always told them that I would never serve a mission, but I, I they were at home when I, they had their service was later in the afternoon. And, mm-hmm. and I called, I called, you know, I called the mother and father and I called father and I said, uh, you sitting down. He said, no, I said, you probably ought to. <laughs> and I said, I need to serve a mission. And he said something to the effect that he always knew that I would. So yeah, I served my, I went, I was 24 when I went into the MTC. And where did you serve? Honduras. Honduras. And was that the the name of the mission? Was it the whole country or was it a uh, part of the? Back then it was, it uh-huh. was Honduras Tegucigalpa mission. And it was the whole, it was all of um, Honduras. Now I think there's more than one mission there. But back okay. then it was, it was just the one. Did you know anything about Honduras before receiving the call? I didn't speak Spanish. I didn't know about Honduras. <laughs> what years did you serve? 84 to 86. And this was uh, during a time when men served for 18 months. Is that correct? 
Yeah. Uh, when I started my mission, it was 18 months while I was on my mission at the very beginning of my mission. Um, they changed it to two years and then gave the missionaries that were already on their missions, the option to stay oh, okay. the 18 months or extend out to 24. But again, I was 24 and yeah. at that time and I wasn't going to spend an extra six months. Now I will tell you this, had they come out with that decision at toward the end of my mission, mm-hmm. I would have extended, but, uh, or I probably would have, um, I, I knew I wanted to go to law school, but, but, uh, and that, that I had to come back and take the LSAT in February yeah. of 86. So I don't know if I would have or not, but I, I would have been more tempted because mm-hmm. I, you know, but this is when I first got to Honduras when this happened. And then you hit a rough patch in the MTC and you ended up making a phone call to uh, the church headquarters. Tell, tell us about that. Yeah. Well, you know, like I said, a lot of my family turned her back and friends turned her backs on me when I became a member of the church. And then I quit a job where I was making money to go serve a mission where I wasn't going to make any money. <laughs> and they thought I was insane. And I felt really out of place at the MTC. I mean, I was 24 mm-hmm. years old and everybody else was 19. Yeah. You know, I had lived away from home. I'd had a job. They were, they were kids and they acted like it was the first time away from home, which for many of them, I'm sure it was. Yeah. And they were running up and down the halls, screaming and yelling and doing all this stuff. And I kept thinking, you know, if this is, if this is what this is all about, I don't want to be any part of it. And I thought, you know, one day I decided if nobody really cares, if I'm here, why am I here? Hmm. You know, so I went to the payphone. And and I called church headquarters in Salt Salt Lake. And uh, a woman picks up the phone, answers the phone. And I said, if nobody cares if I'm here, I'm going home. And she said, "Uh, would you please hold? (laughs) (laughs) And I waited, I waited a little bit. And a guy, a voice comes on the phone and says, elder, if nobody else cares, if you serve a mission, I do. My name is L Tom Perry. And, uh, (laughs) We chatted and he kind of discovered my situation and, and he said, would you, you know, if I didn't mind that he would like to be my pen pal on my mission. So he and I were pen pals on my mission. He sent me letters. I sent him letters. And after my mission, he asked me to come up to Salt Lake and and meet him in his office to give him a mission report. Hmm. Um, So I did. Um, Yeah, that was kind of cool. I, I, I can still... I can still, I can still hear his voice on the phone, you know, <laughs> um, it was just an amazing experience. And then to see him after my mission was, was really nice. Yeah, I can imagine. Now, who was your mission president? I had two. Okay. Uh, in the beginning, it was President Bingham. And then uh, halfway through, President Bingham went, you know, finished his, his calling and President Nahida, um, was my mission president and um, okay. both of them great men, but I was mm-hmm. really close to president Nahida because uh, I think he and I had a, a similar background mm-hmm. um, in some ways, but uh, he, he, and he got me, yeah. I think. Well, for someone who's never been to Honduras like myself, what's it like there? Well, interestingly enough, I finished my mission in 86 and, went to law school. And, um, after my mission, I mean, after law school, I went to the army mm-hmm. 
and I was, uh, in 92, 93, I was stationed in Honduras. So I got to go oh, back okay. to the, the country and it already, it, it already changed quite a bit from mm-hmm. 80, 86 to 93. Um, but back then, it, you know, um, I remember my first area, uh, culture shock was huge. You yeah. know, I mean, the, the bus ride from Tegucigalpa to my first area Progreso was, was a long, long, long bus ride. And the, the, the people were just so poor and, and, uh, they, you'd drive down this, you know, these, these roads, these highways, and people would try to sell you food from mm-hmm. window, the bus windows. And hmm. it was a huge culture shock. And then my first area, um, there was no air conditioning, of course. And, uh, um, and we had to have a sock over our shower head to filter the dirt out of the shower water. Hmm. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, it was huge culture shock. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I grew up poor, but man, this was, I mean, I yes. was, I was a millionaire compared to this. So what do you think you were unprepared for? <sighs> I was unprepared I guess number one is the culture shock. I, yeah. I wasn't prepared. Nothing can prepare you for that. Mm-hmm. I, you could watch movies, I suppose, which I didn't do. I, you know, nowadays you could just, and, and, and the rules are, are different on them. I mean, back then you couldn't call home for anything. Yeah. yeah. You know, you, you never talked to any, you know, you didn't talk to, you, you did letters and stuff, but you didn't make phone calls. You certainly mm-hmm. didn't have an iPhone or videos or <laughs> things like that. Right. And, you know, you didn't have a computer to go up and look up videos of your country. Um, and it all happened pretty quickly when I decided to go and got my calling. And I, funny thing, I, I, they, people asked me, where do you want to go? I said, I've only made two recommendations to God. I want to go someplace that's not in the United States and I want to go Spanish speaking. Hmm. And I, that's exactly what I got. Yeah. I got exactly <laughs> what I wanted. That's awesome. Um, and I, and I wasn't prepared for the work. Mm-hmm. You know, until you really get down there and you start working and you're walking everywhere. I went through a couple of pairs of shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're not prepared for the number of hours that you work and that you walk. And, and uh, now I, I, we baptize people almost every weekend on my mission. Wow. And so that, that was a blessing. Mm-hmm. We were doing this. We were, we were doing all kinds of stuff and to get to get people to listen to us. And um you're not prepared for that. And I'll tell you mm-hmm. something else you're not prepared for is how much you're going to love it. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't prepared to love it as much as I did. Uh, and, and I absolutely loved it. So tell us about someone who you taught. Can I tell you about Utah? About someone who you taught. Oh, who I taught. I was mm-hmm. about to say, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a big switch in the subject. I just wanted to talk about Utah for a little while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, let me tell you a little, a little story. I had a dream when I was in the MTC that I baptized somebody in a river Hmm. and I get to the empty, I get to the Honduras. The first night we're at the, with the mission president's home, we have dinner and we're sitting around with the, with the, all the missionaries that came in that day, there were like eight or nine of us mm-hmm. and the mission president and the mission president's wife. And we're sitting around in his living room and we're each going to bear our testimony. And we're going to, he's going to tell us a little bit about Honduras. And mm-hmm. he asked me if I, you know, my turn. And I said, well, I had this dream that I baptized somebody in a river. And he said, 
okay, well, let me just tell you, elder, that's never going to happen here. We have chapels everywhere you're going to, everywhere you're going to be. We have chapels and we don't baptize in the river here. And I went, okay, okay. Well, it was a nice dream. Well, and my third, no, second area, we were going to baptize uh, a young, a young man and the water went out. Mm-hmm. Like we could not fill the font. And so about a half a mile away, there was a river and the, and the, and the branch president said, let's go do it in the river. So we all got up and left and went down to the river and I got to baptize somebody in the river. Wow. Um, <laughs> it was just like my dream. Wow. That's incredible. So what areas did you serve in? My first area was called Progreso and, uh, it was, very, very, it was hot, mm-hmm. very hot. Um, and, uh, I was only there for a short time and then I was transferred. Uh, I was only supposed to go there for about a month and then be transferred to uh, a town called Taylor. But then the mission president changed his mind and I was transferred to Tegucigalpa, the capital city. Okay. Um, and wow, that was, that was a trip. Uh, Tegucigalpa was was uh, interesting. Then I got to go to my one of my favorite areas was Siguatapeque, which was up in the mountains, yeah. and we had to wear a sweater some nights. And it was pine trees, and it was that's yeah. where that's where we had just amazing success. Mm-hmm. And uh, I loved that I loved that area. I was there for for about six months, and then I I moved to Talanga, which was. Um, uh, Again, a very, very poor, no paved roads, mm-hmm. very, very poor. Um, it was also called a brujeria, which is a, a, a place of witchcraft. And mm. it was famous. In fact, it, there was a big cross on a hill right outside town that a priest many, many hundreds of years ago, apparently three or 400 years ago, put that cross up to ward off the evil spirits in that town. Mm. Uh, but we had to deal with a lot of Satanism in that town. And, wow. And, some some weird stuff and then my last area was santa rosa de copan which was near the guatemalan border Mm -hmm. but it was also really near the copan ruins which we got to visit um Mm. uh the mayan ruins there in Mm -hmm. copan which was great wow sounds like a really fascinating area how do you think being a convert influenced your mission (sighs) number one i understood the, the doubts that people had because they had never heard this gospel before. And I, mm-hmm. I could say, well, I used to be just like you. Yeah. Um, I, I used to not know these things, but isn't it cool to know them? Mm-hmm. You know, I, uh, and I will tell you that, um, I think converts in some ways have it better than mem- lifetime members. And in some ways more difficult, mm-hmm. um, Lifetime members have only known about a prophet. Right. So they don't realize how cool it is to have one because they've always had one. I mean, they think it may be cool, but it, but they don't understand what it's like not to have one. Mm-hmm. To, to know the difference, I think, gives me a, it gave me a, a little bit of an advantage maybe as a missionary. Yeah. That and being older, I think. You know, I was mm-hmm. 26 on my mission, almost 26 on my mission, and I was almost 26. So. Yeah. 
you know, that, that web being older as well. But I will also tell you that I think, I think converts have it more difficult. Most member, most lifelong members have never had to give up anything to be a member. Mm. They don't have to give up anything. It's what they grew up doing. They don't know what it's like to have to give up coffee or iced tea or, uh, you know, those are the big two. And I never drank coffee, but I'm a Texan. <laughs> we live on iced tea. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and giving that up is not easy. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, in some ways, I think converts have it more difficult mm-hmm. uh, because we have to sacrifice, I think, when members that grew up that way don't realize. You know, I, I, I've talked to a lifelong member. They go, well, we don't even think coffee looks, smells good, or we don't even like, we, we, would, we wouldn't like the taste of tea. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh man, you don't know what you're missing with iced tea. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that knowing the difference, because most of the members, well, most of the people, the people we taught in Honduras were Catholic. Mm-hmm. Well, I knew about the Catholic Church. Yeah. So I, I I knew their I knew what their what their and and I, I knew what their what their objections would be. Mm-hmm. How would you describe the food there? My meals were mostly. Beans, rice, and what they call beef steak, which is a very thin cut of steak that's very, it's usually pretty tough. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my meals were usually beans, rice, beef steak. For breakfast, you throw in an egg. Um, you would have platano, which is plantains. Uh, mm. They would boil them. They would boil them or fry them. Uh, and... They have a cream they put on them. Um, and that's what I ate for almost every meal. How do you think that you saw the hand of the Lord? We went into places that people had been baptizing. We baptized like crazy. We saw, we saw baptisms that you wouldn't believe. We, I was in an area with, where there were eight missionaries. There hadn't been any baptisms in that town in a long time. My companion and I had 30 baptisms in a short time. We did the same thing in, in Talanga, where there was the Brujeria. We were baptizing all the time. But I'll tell you something. And it, 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 we were walking down the street in Talanga, my companion and I. And let me tell you about my companion. In my very first area of Progresso, there was a guy that I had helped teach and and. Uh, he he wanted to be a missionary so bad, and he was a young man. Um, and I said, "We'll tell you what, you're going to need a suit to be a missionary." I had I brought two suits to Honduras, mm-hmm. and I gave him a suit. Mm-hmm. I gave him a really nice suit, in fact. And and um, in Talanga, I got a new companion. I was the district leader there and I got a new companion, a greenie, and he showed up and it was, it was him. Oh, wow. He'd become a missionary and he was wearing the suit that I gave him. <laughs> hmm. um, I was his first companion and that was, and that, that's one of the pictures I sent you was uh, that district. There was two females and two sister missionaries and, and then uh, Francisco and me. Wow, and that's, that's amazing. That's the, that's. He's wearing the suit that I gave him <laughs> wow. a year earlier in Progresso. Um, well, we're walking down the street one day, and this family comes out and meets us in the street. And they said, you're missionaries, right? We said, yeah. They said, would you come please pray for our children? They have malaria. Mm-hmm. And so we walked into the house, and these kids were on 
they were they were dying. Mm. They they were they were almost comatose. And I was worried. I thought these people aren't members. Mm -hmm. If we give these kids a blessing and they die, they're going to blame us. Mm. My companion says, we would love to give a blessing. So here I am with my doubt and he was so strong and I, 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 it it gave me strength Mm -hmm. and I said, yeah, we'll give them a blessing. So we gave these two children blessings. A couple of days later, we went back to the house and I wanted, we were passing that same street and I wanted to check and we looked in the window before we walked in and the kids were not in bed. And I thought, oh my gosh, they died. Then we heard some noise in the backyard. We walked around the house and the kids were playing soccer. Wow. And that family mm-hmm. got baptized. So, yeah, you want the hand of the Lord. That's mm-hmm. the hand of the Lord. That's awesome. Well, what was your favorite part about being a missionary? The work. I, I loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to, we're going to discuss it, I guess, in a little bit, but I left the church and yeah. became a very, very, very vocal anti Mormon. Mm-hmm. Very vocal very, very active anti. But even in those moments where I was at my worst as an anti, if somebody asked me, what's your favorite two years of your life? And I would say when I was a missionary. Mm. So even when I hated the church, I loved my mission and I loved it. I loved the work. If I could get paid and do it now, I'd quit being an attorney. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, I've said uh, my, I, if you could marry the three things that I love, I love old classic cars. I love pizza and I love missionary work. If I could drive an old car, <laughs> eat pizza and do missionary work, that's, that's my, that's my game right there. <laughs> uh, I, which is one reason why I love these, you know, I, like I, I, I do fire. I've done 104 firesides and yeah. what I love about the firesides, it's my chance work yeah yeah um but yeah the work the work was amazing mm-hmm. the, the the people were so humble yeah and you know there are people that i baptized that went on missions you know that that i say i baptized mm-hmm. the lord baptized i was mm-hmm. just the i was just the mouthpiece it was the lord's hands but yeah but they, they serve missions so the the you know you drop the pebble in the water and the the, mm. the, it ripples out and that's you see you plant seeds you know you plant seeds and and we had a lot of success on the mission but then we had people that were baptized after the mission and then people mm-hmm. that baptized people that baptized i mean mm-hmm. so the the work just goes on and it just ripples out it continues rippling out and people that people that we baptized that that became missionaries that baptized people who knows how many of those people became missionaries that baptized people yeah um so, you know, it's, it, the work was absolutely, my gosh, it was, it was, my mission was amazing. I, 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 I absolutely loved my mission. So you spend 18 months preaching the gospel and you find yourself back at home, your mission's all over. What, what happens next? I go to law school. Okay. Well, actually, actually, um, I, I came back, I went, I came home, took the LSAT, um, Turned around, went back to Honduras, taught school in Honduras for, uh, taught fourth grade. Oh, wow. Um, and then married a Honduran girl that I'd, I'd met mm-hmm. and, um, my first wife and, um, 
Then we came back to the States Mm -hmm. and then I went to law school. Where'd you go to law school? Uh, As I say on my firesides, I went to law school in a foreign country, um, Michigan. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I went to law school in uh, in Lansing, Michigan. It was the only school that I could find in the entire country that would let me work full time and go to law school full time. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot on your plate at one time. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned that you left the church. Uh, what took you down that path? My, my third year of law school, I went to, we came up to, we went up to Palmyra for the pageant mm-hmm. and I encountered anti-Mormons and they were everywhere. Mm. And I, I debated with them and I came back from my, from that experience wanting to be a better apologist for the church because I'd only been a member at that. This was 89. I'd been mm-hmm. a member for only about six years. And, you know, eight, 18 months of that was in, well, two years was in Honduras. If you include the time I spent teaching school. Yeah. So two years of that was in Honduras. So I, I didn't really have a lot of background in the church, mm-hmm. just what I picked up as a missionary mostly. So I came back wanting to know more about the church and I began to read old history books and doctrinal books, and all of a sudden I came across things I'd never heard before and I didn't like. Mm. And back in 89, if you asked questions, you were told not to ask questions, just to have faith. Mm-hmm. The church is much more open now, but back then it wasn't. And I figured if you don't want to tell me about it, then you want me to, it's your hiding stuff. And I started having doubts. So when I, would ask people, people just kept kind of turning me or, you know, saying, don't, if you're not, if you're not gonna, you know, you gotta have faith, you, you know, don't stop asking questions, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I woke up one day and I no longer had testimony. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I wrote to the stake president and I said in there in Michigan, and I said, uh, please take my name off church records. Mm-hmm. And a couple of weeks later, um, actually a couple of months later, I got a letter from the state that I'd been excommunicated. Okay. Which is what they did back then. They don't do that now. I don't mm-hmm. think that they did that back then. Was there any hesitancy on, on you asking to have your name removed, or was that just kind of where you were at at that, that point? No, no hesitancy at all. Yeah. I, I felt like I'd been, you know, you hear a lot of people say um, people can leave the church but can't leave it alone. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason for that. If you leave the Catholic Church, the Baptist Church, the Lutheran Church, the Methodist Church, nothing happens. You didn't give up anything to go to that church. You don't lose anything when you leave that church. But I quit a job. I left a girlfriend behind who, in my, I got my Kadita Juan, my dear John letter um, on my mission. Mm-hmm. Um, we were engaged and she married somebody else while I was on my mission. Mm-hmm. I gave up a lot to be a missionary and to be a member of the church. Yeah. And I felt like I'd been deceived. So I was angry. And I, so I couldn't leave it alone. I fought it mm. because I was angry. So, you know, there was no hesitation at all. I yeah. hated the church. Mm. So that you said that you became very vocal against the church. Um, this was probably pre-internet. You weren't uh, debating online. How, how are you, uh, how are you being vocal against the church at this point? No, I, I would go to churches to teach against the church. Okay give classes. I would, you know, write articles. I would stop 
missionaries on the street and argue with them. When I came, when I, when I came, I, I was in the army, um, when I came and was stationed at Fort Sill and I discussed, I, I had, after leaving Honduras for the second time, mm-hmm. um, cause I was stationed in Panama and Honduras for three years, mm-hmm. Panama for two years, Honduras for a year. And I was transferred to, to Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And I discovered the internet. Mm-hmm. And that's when I got online and started arguing with people on the internet. Okay. So were you frequenting sites of, uh, other disenfranchised members of the church or? Oh, no, 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 no. I wouldn't go to people that thought like me. Okay. It's no fun to bash the church of people that also go to bash it. <laughs> no, 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 no. In fact, the group that I went to was called what do Mormons really believe? And it was a, a member driven, oh. uh, uh, member driven website, uh, group. Um, and I went to fight with people. I went to argue mm. with them. Okay. I mean, I went to debate. I went to tell them what they were wrong about and how why how they were wrong, why they were wrong. Uh, that was my goal. It wasn't to to talk to people that thought like me. So when you were stationed down in uh, Panama and Honduras, did you have any contact with the the members of the church that you knew from your mission while you were there, or did you just kind of stay away from the church altogether? Boy, if there was a question, I wish you hadn't asked. That was it. Um, because it's, I'm, I'm ashamed. No, I, I went to places where I had served and tried to find people that I baptized, and I apologized to them. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I, and I couldn't find very many, by the way. I mean, uh-huh. you know, that was seven years after the fact, uh, six and seven years after the fact, and sometimes eight years, if I'm, you know, people that mm-hmm. I've met in 84. So, you know... It, Finding people was difficult, and I couldn't remember everybody where I yeah. found people. I couldn't remember all their addresses and stuff and houses and stuff. I thought I would have better chance in in the smaller towns I'd served in, but I, I mm-hmm. didn't. I, I didn't have a lot. Of, I mean, I didn't. I didn't see a lot of people. I didn't yeah. find a lot, of, but I did find a few. And uh, your motivation was that you felt like you owed it to them to kind of. Apologize. Yeah, I, yeah. I felt I, I felt I was misled, which uh-huh. made me think I misled them. Right. And I felt I needed to apologize to them. Yeah. But it was during that time that I found out that a couple of the people that I had baptized became missionaries. Oh wow. Okay. So you're very outspoken against the church, and then what happens next? Well, I I'm in that group. What the Mormons really believe, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm debating just. I mean, people hated my guts. They really did. And I debated a guy named Mike and and Mike and I had some really, really tough debates. Mm -hmm. And over time, we became friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I said, I will never join your church, but I kind of like you. I like your style. I like, (laughs) you know, um, and Mike began putting my name in the temple every week. And I told him not to do it, demanded he stop and he wouldn't stop. Mm. You put my name in the temple every week for 20 years. Wow. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I met Mike and Mike and I became friends. Then I had an experience uh, in, in 2009. Uh, I tell in my fireside, I say I went down to Mexico to do depositions at the border mm-hmm. and I came back with a souvenir, the swine flu. Mm. Um, and I was really sick, and I, I the, the doctors wouldn't see me because uh, they were afraid I would get 
people sick or that I would get them sick. And, you know, we'll never know how bad swine flu was because we didn't test everybody like we did for COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, hundreds of thousands died worldwide that we're aware of. And I was sick. I was really sick. And I just assumed I was going to die. And um, I was in bed. I couldn't get out of bed. I was, I was really, really sick. And uh, two missionaries knocked on my door, and my eldest boy let him in. Mm. And I tell people at the firesides, I have since disinherited him. But um, they, he brought them up to my deathbed, which really angered me. But I was too sick to really be <laughs> too angry. And I, 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 well, I, I'm not making this up. One of them looked at me and said, you're, you're sick. And I went, I thought to myself at the time, man, the spirit is strong in this one. Um, <laughs> but I said, get out of my house. And one of them says, can we give you a blessing? And I said, if you get out of my house, give me the blessing to get out of here. And they laid their hands on, on my, they gave me a blessing mm-hmm. and I was immediately healed. Wow. Um, I don't mean I got better over a couple of days. I mean, my fever in that instance, my fever broke. Hmm. I stopped sweating and I was able to stand up for the first time in days. And I walked him downstairs to the front door and said, I'll never come back to my house. Hmm. So yeah, that, that, uh, that was an experience, uh, in 2014, uh, I joined a different board to argue against Mormons Hmm. and I joined under the name country boy. And one day a girl messages me, her name is garden girl. And she said, I know you're not a member, but I am, but I feel strangely drawn to you. Can we communicate? And I wrote back to garden girl. And I said, we can, but I have to inform you I'm married. And she wrote back and said, I'm 75. Get over yourself. (laughs) Um, But we began to chat one day we talked on the phone. I still only knew her as garden girl. And she asked me if I had any family in the church. And I said, I don't. I said, well, you know what? I might. Back when I was a member in the 80s, I, I knew of a guy, Dean Jesse, who was a member, and he's a big mucky muck. In fact, Dean Jesse's responsible for the Joseph Smith papers. Oh, wow. it's, he's a church. He's the church historian emeritus. Hmm. Um, and I said, if he's still alive, he's my cousin. So, yeah. And she said, Dean Jesse's your cousin. And I said, yeah. And she said, Dean Jesse's my cousin. Hmm. Turns out that she's a Jesse. My grandmother's a Jesse. Hmm. She's a cousin I I never knew existed, but she was somehow <laughs> drawn to me for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, my wife was transferred uh, to Louisiana in her job, and mm-hmm. we decided to have a plan that that she would take that position, and we would just meet once every three months or so um, until the position opened up. Same position opened up in Dallas, and she could mm-hmm. you know so she'd get a promotion and then transfer the promotion to, to Dallas when that position opened. Uh, the very in January of fifteen, even though she had taken the, the her district up from in the forties to number four in the company, they were going to close her district hmm. and and let her go. But then the vice president of the company called her and said, "Susan, we don't want to lose you. There's an opening for the same position in Baltimore. Put your paperwork in for that. It's two week vetting process." So we agreed that we she should go ahead and do that. Mm-hmm. And I called my friend Mike, the one that I had debated with so vociferously for so long. And yeah. I said, Mike, do me a favor. Pray, pray that Susan gets this position in Baltimore. We need her to keep her position in the company. Mm-hmm. And Mike said that he would. And I, I then kind of got 
my smart alecky self going. I said, however, if God really wants me to be a member again, he'll send Susan to Utah. <laughs> now, there was no openings in Utah. Uh-huh. So I, it was a joke, right? There were right. openings in Utah. Well, the very next day, the person in Utah retired. Mm-hmm. And the very next day, Susan's paperwork was transferred from Baltimore to, to Salt Lake City, and she was hired immediately with no vetting. Wow. And your wife was not a member of the church at this point. At that point, she was never going to be a member. Uh-huh. Did she know your background with the church? Oh, sure. Yeah. She knew that I had been a member, and yeah. I was Catholic when we got when we got married. Because mm-hmm. we married in 2010. Okay. So, uh, you know, I was I was Catholic at the time, yeah. and um, she knew about my past. Okay. So now she's transferred to she's to the heart of uh, the church, then, uh, or at least yeah. uh, the headquarters. <laughs> yeah. So I come to visit her. For our anniversary, which was April Fool's Day, we got married April Fool's Day. We thought that was appropriate, <laughs> and I came to visit her that weekend, which happened to be conference weekend and Easter weekend. Mm. And um, I'm, I, I walk five miles a day, mm-hmm. and I'm taking a walk. And the Lord says, "This is home now." And I said, "No, it's not. I've got a nice house and a nice job, paying a lot of money as an <laughs> attorney in Texas." Lord says, "This is home now." I said, mm. "No, it's not. I have a house, Lord. You may have seen it." <laughs> and the Lord said, this is home now. And I said, no, this is not what we want to do. We don't want to live here. We're going to wait for the position up and up in Texas, and she's going to move back. We have a plan. Well, I get back to the apartment, and Susan says, I said, hey, baby, what do you think about Utah? And Susan says, I've been trying to figure out how to bring it to your attention. I never want to leave. Hmm. I'm like, man. <laughs> so I went, I went back and I tried to sell the house and the realtor says, you're never going to sell it. It's got too many issues. It was built in 1929. It'll t- cost you too much money to fix it. And I said, uh, uh, okay, well maybe we can rent it. Well, I got rebaptized in March of 2015. And the week after I got rebaptized, a guy knocks on my door. He says, I want to buy your house. Mm. I said, my house isn't for sale. And he said, well, I don't care. I want it anyway. I said, sir, I, I can't afford to fix it up for you. He says, no, I'm going to buy it as is. I said, how much? And he told me it was more than the house was worth. So I called Susan and told her. And Susan said, man, when God wants you someplace, he really wants you someplace. <laughs> so hmm. uh, I, went back to, I went back to Dallas and quit my job. Had no job here. Mm-hmm. I was making six figures in Texas. And I, had, I, I, I quit my job sold the house and moved to Utah. Okay, let me rewind just a little bit. You had this, the swine flu in 2009. In, 2000, in 2014, you're still on kind of message boards, but you said uh, in 2015 you, you got baptized. So, so something well, something happened. <laughs> yeah, well, when, when Susan got transferred to Utah, uh-huh. I called my friend Mike and I said, you're not going to believe this, Susan's going to Utah. Oh. And he said, well, you know what you told God? I said, I was just kidding. And he said, God wasn't. So wow. I hit my knees and I said, mm-hmm. okay, Heavenly Father, if this is what you want, that's fine. But for 26 years, I've had issues. No one has been able to answer them. Mm-hmm. I've, I've talked to all of your apologetics. I've read your the, the apologetics. No answers. If this is what you want, I've had 26 years of questions got to be answered. And over the next several weeks, I wake up in the middle of the night with a new answer I'd never heard before. Hmm. Until I woke up one day in March and I had my testimony back. Wow. Then I got rebaptized shortly thereafter. I had to have a church court, by the way, but mm-hmm. yeah. And then at some point you meet Elder uh, Dieter F. Uchtdorf. At that point, he was uh, in the First Presidency 
President Uchtdorf. How did that all come about? Well, yeah. Uh, one day I get a phone call and the lady says, is this Dusty? And I said, yes, it is. And she said, would you please hold President Uchtdorf? <laughs> I went, <laughs> Yes. And he gets on the phone with me and he said, my understanding is, is that you fought the church for 26 years and then came back. And I said, yes. And he goes, can we talk? And I said, sure. So I went to visit with him and he said, I'm going to use your story in general conference. Is that okay? And I said, that's fine. Mm-hmm. He said, I won't use your real name. And I said, that's okay. Mm-hmm. And in the priesthood session of October uh, 2016 general conference, he told the story about, uh, talk about all my like and told my story. So did you actually meet meet him as well, or was it just over the phone? Oh, yeah, in his office. No, oh, it was okay. in his office. Oh, wow. Twice, actually. Uh-huh. Twice. And then later on, your wife did actually join the church. Well, when we met with President Uchtdorf, he was President Uchtdorf at the time, mm-hmm. at Elder Uchtdorf in his office, Susan was with me, and he turned to her and said, in the second meeting, and he said, yeah, I, I know you're not a member. Bring what you bring what you know will add to it. And I know that Dusty wants to be sealed to you. We'll save a place for you in the temple. Mm. Now, Suze had said for, you know, ever since we got married that she said, I'll support you. I'll go to church with you. I'll do functions with you, but I will never, ever, 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 ever get baptized. After meeting with President Elder Uchtdorf, I'm going to keep doing that, aren't I? After meeting with Elder Uchtdorf, the next day she said, I'm ready for the discussions. Wow. And um, shortly thereafter, I was able to have that very unique experience of baptizing my own wife. Hmm. And then a year later, we were sealed in the solid temple. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's a lot that happened in a, in a relatively short time. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you that, that we haven't even gone over all the miracles that happened uh, that just people just blown away by. Um because there's number one, there's not enough time right now, but yeah. number two, uh, this podcast isn't really about my miracles, but more about the mission field, which is kind of what I do with firesides. Now mm-hmm. I, um, after the article in LDS living came out and then the book came out, uh, I've, I've done, uh, well between the article in LDS living and then I, this group called high five live mm-hmm. on, on Facebook, contacted me one time and said, will you do a video for us? And I said, no, sure don't want to. <laughs> they said, please. And I said, no, they called me back and they said, look, you might, you might help somebody. We get six to 10,000 views mm-hmm. of our videos. I said, okay, I'll do a video for you. That videos had 1.1 million views. Wow. Um, so between that video, uh, I was a guest on the saints unscripted, uh, YouTube show, mm-hmm. uh, the, 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 then of course the, the, the article in LDS living, yeah. I've had just, just a ton of requests for firesides. Uh, and then we were very, very busy with them until COVID hit. And mm-hmm. I started doing some zoom firesides around the world, I, mm-hmm. uh, literally all around the world, South Africa, Scotland, England, mm-hmm. uh, just all over the world, Belgium, um, and all over the country, but I've done over a hundred and well, I've done 104 in seven states and zoom. So, uh, incredible. I just did my, yeah. So the, the work is still going in. Pe- people are starting to request them again. Now that, mm-hmm. that things have kind of opened up, I have another one in June and, and Nephi. So, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm still, and I love doing the firesides. Yeah. I just absolutely love them. Yeah. I, I, 
I meet so many people. I did one last Sunday in, uh, in Idaho, over 300 people were there and yeah, just cool. the, the comments, the comments that you get, you know, the, yeah. and I, yeah, I, I, I always pray that, the, that I don't care how many people show up, just send the one that, that needs it, you know, or the two that need it or whoever needs it. I want them to be the ones that are there. And yeah. I have so many times people have said, I, I wasn't going to, come to this and I came, I was prompted to come and I needed to hear this. Or you came to this, you came to do this fireside just for me. Or, you know, I could, we could have another complete podcast just doing stories from the firesides. Mm -hmm. um, because it, there's been some amazing things that I've, that have come down the pike. People getting rebaptized that had left the church because of the mm -hmm. firesides or because of the talk or because of the video or because of the book or because mm -hmm. of the magazine article. And again, it's not me. It's, yeah. it's the spirit, it's the Holy ghost, but he's using me to, to be the mouthpiece for these things. What, what do you do to keep your faith strong? You're talking to a guy who left church 26 years. <laughs> um, I will tell you that when I, when I give my firesides, I, I warn, I warn everybody. I say, look, you're going to find negative things about the church. Mm -hmm. I say, but you know, go back to the basics. Did Joseph have the first vision? Yes. Did he translate the Book of Mormon? Yes. I'm a college graduate. I'm a law school graduate. I've written a book. I'm a published author, published mm -hmm. poet. With all my education experience, I couldn't write the Book of Mormon. Yeah. And yet we think that the, 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 the detractors will tell you that a person, young kid with no education, somehow wrote that book. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, if I can't do it with my education and experience, there's no way an uneducated kid can do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's just no way. Yeah. And, and I say, go back to the basics. And if those two things are true, he was a prophet. Don't let the negatives hurt you. Don't let the things you don't know affect the things you do know. Or like President Newdorf said, don't let your doubts overcome your faith. Mm -hmm. And if you stick with the basics, look, you're going to find negatives in everything that doesn't make it not true. I can, I'm an attorney. That's my job. You give me any topic, I'll, I'll destroy it for you. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah. It just means that I can find negative stuff about it. And I'll tell you something else. People put too much emphasis on that a, that a, 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 a prophet needs to be perfect. He doesn't. Mm -hmm. Abraham lied. Moses killed. Peter denied. No such thing as a perfect prophet. They're going to make mistakes. But making a mistake doesn't mean you're not a prophet. Yeah. It means you're human. And people are human. I've had people say they let, they, they, they went inactive because somebody in church offended them. Mm. Why would you do that? Why would you let somebody else determine your salvation? Keep the faith. Don't let your doubts overcome your faith. Don't let the things you don't know overcome the things you do know. Go back to the basics. If you go back to the basics, he was a prophet. Had to be. Mm -hmm. And that's an incredible blessing. Don't give that blessing up. Yeah, I love that. You know, a lot of members, including myself, have, you know, someone close to them who have stepped away from the church. What advice would you give to, to me and others who have the, these close uh, people to us that have, have uh, left the church? Be Mike. Hmm. Mike put my name in the temple every week for 20 weeks, never gave up on me, prayed hmm. for me all the time. Be Mike. I will tell you this, the worst thing in the world you can do is debate with people, because hmm. I will tell you that most of the most of the people that you would debate with that are anti know your church better than you do. Mm. 
because they study it in order to debate you. I, I was coming up with facts and stuff that Mike didn't know. Mike would have to go look it up hmm. because antis know your church better than you do. So, you know, if you get down in the mud with them, you're going to get dirty too. So, you know, don't, don't, don't argue with them, love them, Mm -hmm. invite them, but don't get offended. If they don't say yes, don't get offended. Be Mike. He didn't give up for 20 years. Think about that every week, 52 Mm -hmm. weeks a year for 20 years. Put my name in the temple. That's incredible. That's love and charity. That's pure love and charity. I love that. Mike knew. Mike knew. If you ask Mike, he'll tell you. He knew I'd come back to the church. Once he got to know me, mm-hmm. knew that I loved the Lord. Because I never stopped loving the Lord. I didn't become mm-hmm. an atheist. Yeah. I left the church. I did not stop loving God. And he 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 said that once I knew and realized that you loved the Lord, I knew you'd be back to the church. It was just a matter of time. You're giving all these firesides now. What do you hope the takeaway is from someone who comes to the fireside? That God loves them. And in fact, when I get done with the history part of my fireside, before I get into the teaching part, but the history part, the, the miracles, me coming, becoming a member, leaving, coming back, the miracles that happened to bring me back. When I get done with that, I say, no, I tell you all that to tell you this, the Lord loves you. There is nothing that you can do to take you away from his reach. You cannot get yourself away from the outreach of his arms. Nothing you can do makes him stop loving you. And I always finish each fireside with a story. And it's a true story. But it's, it's, when, I was, when I was in high school, I did a play called The Company of Wayward Saints. And, and it's about a group of improvisationists who go from town to town. And they, they do their plays based on what the audience tells them. They want to be, you know, their act mm-hmm. kind of like whose line is it anyway? And, um, I'm in, I'm in one of the scenes. I play an old time doctor who does house calls and I'm delivering a baby and I'm sitting on the front porch with the, with the prospective father. And I say, um, we're talking and he says, shouldn't you be doing something? And I say, when the Lord's, when God's ready, he'll let us know. And his question in the play was, you believe in God? And my answer is. That's a difficult question for a man of science to answer. But I will tell you this. I know God believes in me. Mm. And that's how I end my fireside. I say, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter what you think, Heavenly Father will always believe in you. Mm. And that's what I want people to take away. that The Lord loves them and Heavenly Father will always believe in them. No matter what, you can't make the Lord stop loving you. Mm-hmm. You can't make the Lord stop caring about you or believing in you. Yeah, I love that. People say, I dream of one miracle happening in my life. It happened to you all the time. They say they happen to you too. The difference is I see them. I don't believe in coincidence. Coincidence is God's way of staying anonymous. <laughs> I don't believe in coincidence. I see the miracles, look for them, mm-hmm. see them. And, and, and that's kind of the other part of the message that, that the Lord does still do miracles. Well, I have one last question for you, and this goes back to your mission. If there was one thing that you'd like your posterity to know about your missionary service, what would it be? That it was faithful missionary service, that I worked hard, and that I loved every minute of it. And being in the service of God is just absolutely one of the coolest things that you can do. And I would, I would do it again. 
I, you know, I just, I absolutely loved it. And I want my posterity to know that I loved it and that I loved it when I was doing it. I loved it when I hated the church. And now that I'm back in the church, I love that I did it <laughs> and that I helped people and that, that the Lord used me to help people. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's a temple in Honduras now. Wow. I like to think that the work we did back in 84, 86 helped make that happen. Yeah. That's beautiful. Uh, and you have a book out now called Trial of Faith. Is Amazon the best place to go for that? As far as I know, okay. Amazon, uh, you might still be able to get it at Deseret Books mm-hmm. uh, on their online. I know that they don't probably carry it in store anymore. The book's been out for a while. But, yeah. Um, yeah, Trial of Faith, it's kind of my story, but it's mm-hmm. it's people have, have said it, it's helped, and mm-hmm. I hope that it does. Well, this has just been amazing hearing about your conversion, about your mission, and about your incredible journey back to the church after leaving. I know that this will be very meaningful uh, to a lot of people who listen. Thank you, Dusty Smith, for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you for asking me. Well, a big thank you to my new friend, Dusty Smith, and a thank you to uh, Dave Johnson, a former guest who connected us. In today's Missionary Minute, I first heard about Dusty Smith on Nick Galletti's LDS Mission Cast podcast. I kept thinking about his story, and uh, four years ago, I decided to write a blog post about it. This was back when I was blogging pretty regularly, and so I blogged about it. And then something happened that had never happened before with any of my other posts. I wouldn't say that it went viral, but it did explode. It got circulated on Reddit in some groups that were, well, let's say less than favorable to the church, and I started getting a slew of mean messages. They attacked pretty much everything about me, from my writing, to the story, to my pictures that I had posted, to my looks, pretty much anything you could imagine. It really took me took me back, and I kept rereading this to see if I had said something terrible. In the post, I had basically told the story about Dusty, and then I told about how I had become inactive for a few years during my teenage years. I told about my mom, who uh, got rebaptized into the church after being out of the church for a number of years. And then I wondered, what was it that made us all come back to church? The gist of the post was that we as family and friends of those who have left the faith could really do nothing but love them and then let God tug at the hearts of those who have gone to other paths. The Spirit would be what would ultimately bring people back to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to his church. We must simply love unconditionally. And for some reason, that created a lot of hate mail. It made me think that maybe I should stop blogging and get out of the public eye. I didn't like all of the negativity. But after some pondering and praying, I decided that that was probably the wrong thing to do. And blogging and now podcasting has been a way that I found to, to share my faith. So as Lehi taught and as Elder Bednar recently taught in General Conference, I heeded them not. I ignored all the mocking and the virtual pointing of their fingers at me. As someone who's experienced this a few times, it's not easy. But sometimes heeding not is exactly what we need to do when there are those who are mocking the church. Dusty's life would have been very different if he had heeded not to the people at the Hill Camorra pageant who were there trying to argue with faithful members. You know, I I am guilty of the same thing. I've done that at the Manti pageant. I've uh, talked to these people who were there trying to to argue with you about your faith. Um, I've done it with uh, people in front of General Conference uh, 
at, at the conference center. There, there are always protesters there saying things that aren't true. And I've tried to talk with them and reason with them, and it's never gone anywhere. And now with the internet and social media, it's always in your face, almost daily. It's not hard to find those who are quick to criticize the church and the prophet. Dusty suggested that we avoid debating with others, and I would agree with Dusty. And just like Lehi and Elder Bednar both taught, it is really best to heed them not. Well, that's about it for today's show. If you like the show, please subscribe so that you're notified when new episodes come out. And we would really appreciate it if you could rate and review the podcast and Apple Podcasts or share it with a friend. So thank you so much for joining me today. I will be taking a break for a while during the summer. So until next time, wax strong in the gospel, my friends. Mm-hmm.